Welcome and thank you for joining us here for the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship of Boise, Idaho. Bread and water is what we need and what we have in Jesus Christ. He said, come to me and drink. He said, I am the bread of life. However we adorn our Christian faith, it rests in this most basic thing. Christ is all. Let's learn from him. Let's learn about him. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. The Lord Jesus is the model for all great preaching. You should ask your pastor to aspire to his example. It was Christ's holiness that made him so sympathetic with those he spoke to. He knew their human potential as no one else did and spoke to that possibility with power. Your pastor must follow after Christ's likeness and preach from a commitment to holiness. This is not denying the weakness of people. It is addressing the dream God has put in every heart. Today, we also consider that Jesus' holiness made him aware of the depths that we have fallen to, and so his message grew in sympathy and compassion, and in a desire to see people raised from their lowest state to experience the human possibility that only he could bring them to. Here's the second thing that we should see about the Lord Jesus that makes him uniquely fit to preach to men, and it's this. Christ, as a man, also came to know most fully the fallenness of man. He came to most fully understand the sinfulness of those he spoke to. He took on himself our brokenness in a pure heart. And so it pierced him in a way that it doesn't even pierce us. He knew the pain and the sorrow of the pathway of the sin that comes upon our lives better than we know it ourselves. It was his purity that brought him into full sympathy with those that he spoke to. He didn't have a moral callous on his life, is what we're saying, that kept him from appreciating the assault and insult of sin. He didn't have a moral callous on his life that somehow made him numb to sin. You know how it is. We say it ourselves. I've been exposed to this so long, I'm numb to it. It no longer disturbs me or upsets me. I'm used to these things. Well, the Lord Jesus' innocence was so perfect and so constant that though it was constantly exposed, the irritant of evil, it was exposed without him ever getting used to it, without him ever becoming indifferent to it. As a result, the Lord Jesus is described in the Bible as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Hebrews 4.15, which we've looked at just within the last year, tells us that our Lord Jesus is a high priest who sympathizes with us because he was tempted in all points like we are yet without sin. A statement is actually saying an amazing thing. Our temptations, as we discovered before, tap out at the point where we either take God's way of escape or God places a limit upon it so it doesn't overwhelm us. The Lord Jesus, on the other hand, drank the full cup of our temptations and never gave in to them. You never know the full extent of the temptation that comes against you because either you give in to it or God gives you a way of escape. But what you should know is at any point, God always limits it because the Bible says He doesn't allow you to be tempted above that which you are able to resist. That's God's care, God's oversight, God's restriction, even upon the tempter as He comes against you. But when that same tempter came to Christ, because he had infinite power and infinite might, 
God allowed the full brunt and the full force and the unlimited pressure of the temptation that comes upon you to be released entirely upon Him. It is His innocence. It is His sinlessness that qualifies the Lord Jesus to sympathize all the more with those who are pressed by temptations and hounded by failure, for He alone knows the full measure of your sufferings. He knows what it's like. He knows the full expression of his degradation. He knows what it's like. Only he does. And so he's able to sympathize with you. Let me make another application here. As you come before others and as you speak before others and as you engage individuals and you're calling individuals to come to the Lord Jesus, a preacher who lives a holy life derived by the power of the Holy Spirit will become increasingly sensitive and sympathetic to the plight of those he addresses. A preacher who lives a holy life will become increasingly sensitive and sympathetic to the plight of those he addresses. The work of God that grants us victory over sin and temptation, when it is an expression of God and not just of our own fleshly self-regulation, our own ability to somehow try to control and hold down and press down and bring accountability around us to keep us from doing the wrong thing and doing the right thing, that work of God that brings us victory over sin that is an expression of His might, His power, His leading, His work, will make us more and more considerate of those who are in the same struggle. We'll feel the longing for them and the promise for them that the Lord Jesus offered when He stretched out His hands to them and said, Come unto me, you weary and heaven laden, and I'll give you rest. It's kind of a check for you. If your spiritual and moral growth that you are tracing in your life is making you less and less patient, less and less sympathetic with those who are struggling, those lost and broken people who may be actually fallen in their sin, they reveal that you may be only be growing in good habits, but not growing in Christ-like holiness. We would want to speak with power into a fallen world. And that power comes through purity. But it's a purity that is poured out in loving sympathy. It will not compromise with sin, but it also will not be the thing or the one that casts the first stone. Increased holiness leads to surprisingly increased sympathy. We spoke about this, about the Lord Jesus, only a few weeks ago when we said that we have a high priest who is holy that is his purity before God. And what do we say the next thing? What does the author say the next thing is? He is harmless. True holiness, as it expresses itself in relationship with other individuals, is not strident, doesn't castigate. There's a harmlessness about it. Here's the third thing, and it actually follows up on what we've just said here. This knowledge that the preacher Jesus has of all men rising out of his perfect humanity... This awareness that he has of all of our sins arising out of his holy sinlessness works to fill him with compassion. It works to fill him with compassion and it distills itself out in a message that proclaims to others the saving mercy and grace of God. It fills him with compassion. This 
sinless, this perfect humanity that Christ has that causes him to rise as the perfect man that is able to identify with the true humanity of people, unobscured by the opaque selfishness that coats all of us. This life of the Lord Jesus, perfect in all holiness that makes him all the more sensitive, all the more tender to our sins, makes him increasingly sympathetic in such a way that this sympathy is expressed in a message full of an urgent desire to see people brought under and brought to the saving mercy and grace of God. The Lord Jesus saw people as sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them. There's a great story in Mark chapter 10 of the rich young ruler who it says came and ran up to Jesus and bowed down before him. And the rich young ruler basically asked the Lord Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Christ said to him, you know the law? Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, don't defraud others, honor your parents, do all that. The man bowing before him looked up at the Lord Jesus and said to him, I've kept all that from my youth. He didn't understand that he had in his own heart and mind committed adultery multiple times. He didn't understand that in his own sensuous spirit he had committed murder in his heart multiple times. That he had stolen from others in his gossip and in his insinuations. That he had lied in his exaggerations that he had defrauded in his pretensions about his spiritual position as a ruler among the people. That in all these things he had dishonored his parents. But listen to how the Lord Jesus responds to the rich young ruler after he says, I've done all this. Mark 10, 21 says this. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said to him, looking at him, loved him, and said to him. The gospel preacher with sympathy sees those before him. He loves those before him. And only then he speaks to those before him. As we've said, the Lord Jesus is our model for all gospel preaching. He's the preacher. As we let him fill us with his spirit, he makes us more connected to our humanity and that of others. He purifies us in a way that makes us more sensitive to people's fallenness and our own. And so he moves us to sympathetically pursue mercy and grace through the gospel as we speak to them. He fills us with compassion, a compassion that identifies with those that we come before. Let me just consider very briefly an application to how the Lord Jesus carried forward this compassion, this qualification as a preacher to others. What was his primary message of application to all that he said in presenting himself and God's truth before men? And what you see is the application here is simply this. He said to people, repent. His primary message was repent. This word of repentance, number one, is a direct word of diagnosis. It's a declaration of moral condition. We are sinners, and we're prone to head down the wrong road, and so we say, turn around. Our minds are apt to move into traps where we bring ourselves into ruin, and so the word here is change your mind, think in a different way. And the application for us is that you're not preaching if you're not giving people a way to diagnose their lives 
and a call for them to redirect their thinking. There can be no gospel message to share with another without a pointed word sent out sympathetically and lovingly to the heart that underscores their error and their sins and their wrong thinking. God's law, God's will, God's character must always be put forward first in our message for these are the absolutes upon which sin and wrong thinking is exposed so that we can call people to repent and turn back second thing you'll see about this word repent, it's a word that defines, because it comes from the very lips of the preacher Jesus, it defines his relevance to all people. Jesus came for sinners who needed to change and who couldn't change without him. And so when he says repent, basically saying, come and I'll, I'll give you the life that you need. I'll bring you into the change that you need. The Lord Jesus said of himself and his complete relevancy to all individuals, I have come into the world to save sinners. The word and message of the gospel has always behind it the extended hands of Christ saying, come unto me. So listen. When we give this word repentance to individuals, it must always sound like an invitation. Well, that's because that is just what the word repentance is. God is not inviting us to a place of rebuke. He's inviting us to a place of reconciliation and reward. He's inviting us into His arms of forgiveness and His arms which are an answer for all our brokenness. And it comes to us saying, turn around from what you're looking at. I'm here for you. You've been listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208 331 4096. Until the next time, God bless you.